0: In today's brief, we'll talk about what's up in Avdiivka, collaborators, and Russia's hopes for mud season. I'm Linnea, and today is Thursday, October 12th, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Before we get started, I have a cold, so I apologize to your ears in advance. Also, a quick reminder, we're still raising funds to buy pillows for the soldiers at the Vinnyky Recovery Center near Lviv. Information on how to donate will be included in the description. And now the news from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian losses on Tuesday included 34 tanks, 91 armored combat vehicles, or ACVs, 18 artillery systems, One multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, one anti aircraft system, 19 unmanned aerial vehicles, called UAVs or drones, an Su 25 fighter bomber, and 820 personnel. Russian losses on Wednesday were similarly high, including 42 tanks, 44 ACVs, 32 artillery systems, two MLRS, 21 UAVs, and 990 personnel. UK Defense Intelligence reported on October 11th that the combat capability of the Russian armed forces has deteriorated due to mental health issues among soldiers, noting that in December 2022, Russian psychologists identified roughly 100,000 military personnel with symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD a number that is almost certainly now much higher due to the Russian military's consistent failure to rotate units away from the battlefield for rest. Some Russian commanders have called out the problem to higher-ups, like Major General Ivan Popov of the 58th Combined Arms Army, who was relieved of his position back in July. UK analysts also say that there is evidence that Russian medical staff are sending personnel back to the front who are unfit to fight, And With a lack of care for its soldiers' mental health and fitness to fight, Russia's combat-fighting effectiveness continues to operate at suboptimal levels. In the eastern theater of operations, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces held their positions near Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast and had partial success in Andriyevka, southwest of Bakhmut. According to the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, Russian forces launched an offensive operation northwest of Avdiivka, also in Donetsk Oblast, from Krasnohorivka towards Ocheretine, and southwest of Avdiivka from Vodyana towards Sierne. It has not gone well for them. The goal seems to be to encircle Ukrainian forces who are well entrenched in the city of Avdiivka, which, after nine years of war, has been reduced to ruins. In spite of massed firepower and a force of roughly 8,000 troops, according to Ukrainian intelligence, Russia has suffered incredible losses in both equipment and personnel and has achieved minimal gains. In the northern pincer, Russian forces were able to power through a Ukrainian tree-line fortification and reach the railway, pushing towards Berdychi and Stepove. Russian sources claim they captured both settlements but there's no geolocated evidence of it at this point, and clashes continue between Stepova and the railway. In the southern pincer, not only were all Russian attacks rebuffed, according to Ukrainian Tavria Forces spokesperson Alexander Stupun, Ukrainian troops even managed to capture Russian positions between Vodyana and Opitne. The ISW threw some shade at the situation, writing in their October 10th assessment that, quote, an effort to capture Avdiivka would require more and higher quality units than those currently deployed in the area. End quote. In the southern theater of operations, Ukrainian forces made partial gains west of Virbova in western Zaporizhia and continued to repel Russian offensive operations south of Robotene. The ISW reported that Russian forces launched localized offensive operations southwest of Orihiv near Nesteryanka and Piatychatky likely in an effort to draw Ukrainian forces away from the area around Robotene about 20 kilometers to the east. Along the Donetsk-Zaporizhia border, the ISW confirmed Ukrainian advances southeast of Vuhledar towards Mikilsk. A report in Forbes confirmed a story we touched on a few days ago. Sometime in the first week of October, Ukrainian artillery destroyed a Russian ammunition train en route to Tolkmak. The importance of this cannot be overstated. One of the major goals of the AFU since the beginning of the counteroffensive has been to get close enough to cut Russian supply lines, called g or ground lines of communication, around Tokmak, arguably the most important road and rail hub in western Zaporizhia. If Ukraine is able to establish fire control and sever the g in and around Tokmak, Russia won't be able to supply its troops in the field in western Zaporizhia and will be forced to either retreat or be overrun. It's worth noting that Russia has already started working on alternative supply routes, such as a new railway through occupied Mariupol in Donetsk Oblast, but the AFU have been fighting tooth and nail since June to make this a reality, meter by painful meter, and it's unlikely that they haven't considered Russia's backup plans. Twice a year, parts of Ukraine transform into fields of mud comparable to the swamp of sadness in the never-ending story, as the rich soil holds an entire season's worth of moisture. Called Bezdurija in Ukrainian, mud season can be a game-changer for ground forces, making troop movement difficult and swallowing armored vehicles whole. Some military experts, including Chair of the United States Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley, worry that Ukraine only has a few weeks before Bezdurija crashes the counteroffensive, and Russia is undoubtedly hoping that will be the case. Fortunately for Ukraine, the heaviest fighting of the counteroffensive is happening in southern Ukraine, where warmer temperatures cause more of the moisture to evaporate from the soil. There's also less moisture in the soil this season to begin with. This summer saw below average rainfall across the region. So, this time around, anyway, Bezdorizhia is shaping up to be more of a kitten than a bear. In the Black Sea, NATO allies Turkey, Romania, and Bulgaria are planning a joint force to clear sea mines from Russia's full-scale invasion that drift into their territorial waters. It's expected to be operational as soon as next month. In the temporarily occupied territories, head of the National Police of Ukraine, Ivan Vahivsky, reported that notices of suspicion of treason in absentia have been served to almost 400 police officers who remained in the occupied territories and have been working in illegitimate law enforcement agencies for the Russian occupation authorities. Vukhovsky noted that while 400 seems like a large number, it represents fewer than 0.4% of the total police force of Ukraine. On the home front, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky signed a law on Tuesday resuming asset declarations for officials and making them immediately available to the public. The Verkhovna Rada, which is Ukrainian parliament, had passed a controversial version of the law that kept asset declarations under wraps for another year, but of course, President Zelensky vetoed it. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, identified two Ukrainian collaborators who allegedly worked with Russian forces to carry out the missile strike on the small village of Khroza on October 5th. According to the SBU post on Telegram, local brothers Volodymyr and Dmytro Mamon began working with Russian forces while the area was under occupation. When the region was liberated in late 2022, they fled to Russia but maintained a social network in Kharkiv Oblast. They reportedly collected information about the planned reburial of the fallen Ukrainian soldier in Froza and passed it along to Russian authorities. The death toll from that attack has risen to 55, and three remain unaccounted for. Speaking of snakes in the grass, let's talk about the Russian Federation. There's a presidential election coming up, and UK Defense Intelligence stated that they believe Russia will avoid making unpopular political steps, like, for example, announcing a new wave of mobilization before the election on March 17, 2024. Current Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin is expected to begin his unofficial campaign in the next month or so. To be clear, though, that does not mean that Russia won't restock their troops until spring, A recent investigation by Radio Liberty has found evidence that Russian Defense Intelligence, or the GRU, has been hiring mercenaries and calling it recruiting volunteers. If you remember back in September when Putin said 270,000 Russians had signed contracts to serve as volunteers? Well, according to Radio Liberty's investigation, Many of those volunteers are in fact mercenaries hired by private military companies, or PMCs, that cost the Russian government so much more than mobilized soldiers, but are far less likely to cost Putin in the election. In news worldwide, the Wall Street Journal reported that pro-Ukrainian members of the United States Senate want to pass a long-term aid package for Ukraine that would far exceed the amount requested by US President Joe Biden and would last through the 2024 election. Back in August, Biden requested $24 billion in additional aid for Ukraine, which has drawn opposition from Congress critters who are wary of further funding for the war. Following the drama in the US House of Representatives, however, Senators from both parties have spoken out in favor of a so-called "one-and-done aid package." Ukrainian President Zelensky and Romanian President Klaus Johannes have reportedly signed a bilateral agreement on security, including in the Black Sea region, support for Zelensky's peace formula, an expansion of cooperation between the two nations logistically and economically, and the establishment of transport links and simplification of border crossings between Ukraine and Romania. Zelensky also announced the creation of an F-16 training center in Romania, which will include Ukrainian pilots in the first wave of training. Finnish authorities announced that the damage to the Baltic connector underwater gas pipeline on October 8th could not have occurred due to normal use or pressure fluctuations. And Finnish President Sauli Niinistö noted on Twitter that quote, It is likely that the damage to both the gas pipeline and the communication cable is the result of external action the cause of the damage is still unknown we are in constant contact with our allies and partners nato is ready to help in the investigation End quote. as we reported earlier in the week russia was hoping to be reelected to one of the two available seats on the united nations human rights council on the 10th but as the hit broadway musical goes they didn't have the votes Bulgaria won the first seat with 160 votes in the UN General Assembly, and Albania won the second with 123 votes. Russia only managed to secure 83 votes. Let's talk military tech. Germany announced a new aid package for Ukraine focused on air defense, including a complete Patriot air defense system, two IRIS-T systems, and three Gepard anti-aircraft installations. Ukrainian developers have created a radio system that cannot be jammed by Russian electronic warfare systems, according to Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Digital Transformation Mikhailo Fedorov. Called Himera, the radio's signals can reportedly neither be blocked nor decrypted by Russians. The radios can hold a charge for up to four days and can be integrated into a situational awareness system or used as a GPS tracker to search for and evacuate soldiers. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to our work on Substack. We'll be back next time with more updates. Until then, stay safe everyone.